That's my secret cat. I'm always angry. Alright. I ran out of patience. On the roof! Hey everyone, cat, cat, big fan, Spider-Man. Avengers! Assemble. Hello, Peter. And hello and welcome back to To the Infinity Saga and Beyond, an MCU fan podcast. My name is Jordan Wiegand. With me today is no one. I'm here by myself. We're going to quickly talk about the new release schedule of Marvel as some stuff got shifted around. And then I'm going to give some spoiler-free thoughts on Eternals and then our spoiler uh, review uh, later in the show. I'll give a spoiler warning for that. So uh, let's go ahead and talk some release date changes here. We have uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which was moved from March 25th of 2022, is now shifted to May 6th. 2022 this is um the fourth release date it was originally may 7th of 2021 november 5th of 2021 march 25th of 2022 and now may 6 2022 uh sounds like this stuff was not covid related it just sounds like they need more time for all these films uh thor love and thunder was pushed to july 8th of 2022 That's also that's fourth release date, as it was November 5th of 2021, which is where Eternal was released. Uh, February 11th of 2022, then May 6th of 2022, which is now where Doctor Strange is. Uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever was originally a July 8th, 2022. Before that, it was May 6th of 2022, and is now November 11th, 2022. Uh, and this also just had to shut down production because uh, Letitia Wright, who plays um, uh, Shuri, uh, hurt herself uh, about two months ago on set. And they've went on and filmed all the stuff they could without her. Uh, and now they've run out of material to film without her. So they say, they say that they're going to get back to um, filming for... Uh, Black Panther will kind of forever sometime early 2022 and it should still make its November 2022 date. So a movie that was in uh, November 11th of 2022 is now shifted to February 17th of 2023. That's the Marvels, the sequel to Captain Marvel. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania was shifted from February 17th of 2023 and is now July 28th, 2023. Guardians is still May 5th of 2023. Guardians Volume 3. So, that is uh, all the official dates that have shifted around. So, we are about to go and uh, talk some eternal spoiler-free stuff before we dig into... The spoilers and the end credit scenes. So uh, let's talk box office real quick here. It's projected to make seventy-one million dollars uh, domestic 
box office weekend, um, which would be the fourth highest of the pandemic. Uh, it's received less than favorable reviews for critics. This is actually the MCU's first rotten film on Rotten Tomatoes. It's at like 49%, I think, right now. Um, so we'll see how it goes when we look at, uh, you know, drops from weekend one to weekend two and all that kind of stuff, if it holds a lot of stuff. Um, but, you know, people are going to say that this is a disappointment, I guess. Uh, you know, some people were projecting around 80 million originally, but really Shang-Chi got 75.3 and everybody was saying what a great weekend that was so this is pretty close to that for another group of heroes that are unknown and i would say that's still pretty decent um we'll see though it could drop off more where it doesn't hold well you know shang chi held well for all of september uh but you know november is about to have ghostbusters afterlife in two weeks um and then king richard which is starring will smith i don't see that really eating into eternals box office though not king richard ghostbusters definitely will be a tough a tough uh movie to face for eternals um yeah so you know talking about the reviews now of course more favorable reviews from people that have seen the movie than uh than the critics uh eternals is at 48 percent by the time that i am looking at this here so I'm recording this Sunday afternoon. And we are at 48% out of 294 reviews and 81% uh, audience out of 2,500 verified ratings. So it's doing pretty good uh, that-wise. But um, yeah, the MCU's first rotten film... I. I'll just give my spoiler-free thoughts here. I don't think this is the worst MCU movie. I don't think it's the best MCU movie. It's probably a little bit more in the middle. Uh, I think it's a good intro to these characters. I don't think it's a great intro to these characters. Some of these characters do not get enough time to shine just because the cast is so large. And we really focus a lot on Gemma Chan's um, Cersei and uh, Richard Madden's Icarus. You know, some of the other side characters or other Eternals who are you thought would be, you know, main characters, Fastos. We don't get introduced to modern-day Fastos until later in the film. And uh, none of this is really spoilers. It's we, we get introduced to all the characters very early in the film, but it's like a flashback. And then we kind of shift around from present day to past. And we'll see some of those characters then, but like Kingo character is you know, not, not in it as much as I thought they would be. So I think there could have been some more balance in the characterization, the screen time for the characters. I think that would have helped. And I think it would have helped this movie and maybe the critics. I don't know, but I think it would have helped the movie definitely feel a little bit more coherent. Um, and probably lessen some of the, some of the background stuff. I don't think we really needed as many of the flashbacks as we got, maybe cutting one or two and putting, you know, some of the characters in earlier, and I think this is probably a much better film. But overall, I really enjoyed this film. I thought it was good. Um, I, I would probably rate this like a 7 out of 10, 6.5 out of 10, somewhere around there. Um, you know, bottom of the barrel MCU for me is like Thor the Dark World. This is better than Thor the Dark World. Uh, I, I'm excited for these characters. I want to see more of them. 
the end credit scenes really got me excited for where these characters can go from here. But overall, uh, it kind of took a bit to get going. It was a little long of a movie, or felt long at times, little drags, and that, I think some of that is the flashing back and forth, and probably would have been simpler if it was easier to digest if it was a little more streamlined on some of those timelines. But overall, I thought it was a good movie. So, uh, that's my spoiler-free thoughts. And now we're going to get into my spoiler thoughts. We're going to go a little bit plot by plot here. So, you know, it opens up with 5000 BC. We have our 10 Eternals, Ajax, Circe, Icarus, Kingo, Sprite, Fastos, Makari, Druig, Gilgamesh, and Thena. Um, and they are being sent by a celestial name, Arishem, to Earth to fight the Deviants. So over their time here, you know, the, uh, they're going to get a little more close to humans. They're going to get closer to humans. They're going to destroy all of the Deviants. It takes a while, though. You know, 5000 BC, all the way up to the, like, 1500s is when that they had defeated the last Deviant. Um, they all kind of go their separate way after defeating their last Deviants. They don't really know what their full mission is. They're waiting to get told they can come home is, you know, what we're told at the beginning of the movie. So in the present day, Cersei and Sprite live together in London. Cersei and Icarus broke up around 500 years earlier after the, I guess, last of the Deviants was destroyed. Um, she's actually now dating Dane Whitman, played by Kit Harington. Uh, he was really good in this. I thought he'd be in it a little bit more than he was. And they work at the Natural History Museum in London. And almost right away here in the movie, they are attacked by a deviant who will be named Crow later on. Uh, Icarus appears and chases the creature away along with, you know, uh, with, with Cersei's help. So now they realize deviants have somehow returned and they try to say, hey, let's go get the other Eternals. And they traveled to South Dakota only to, uh, to see that Ajak, has, uh, who, who was the leader of the Eternals, played by Selma Hayek, has been killed before, um, before they came over there. And that is what, you know, they kind of get this clued in earlier that this Deviant Crow is able to absorb their powers. Because at one point Crow gets hurt and they... Crow uses Ajax's healing power, which is what Ajax's power is, and heals itself. And, you know, I think Sprite says something to Cersei about it, like, right away, like, did you see that? It healed itself. It's it kind of like Ajax's power. We've never seen anything like that. And then when they go and find out that the Deviant has killed Ajax, they kind of put, you know, two and two together here and say that you know, Crow is absorbing the powers. And we'll get a little bit more of that later on. Uh, but, you know, overall, the, the opening scene here with the with the Eternals coming together and fighting off, like, a Deviant in 5,000 as soon as they land, pretty much. And they help, like, this little village. Cersei gives this knife that he had had uh, that one of the kids had had in the village turns it into a nicer little knife or whatever 
and gives it back to him. And then it shows, you know, present day her uh, walking the streets of London and it's showing on the like uh, billboards about this about this knife and how it's one of the like influential piece of history from from humans and, you know, saying that, you know, they helped kind of guide us to where we are now. And that she works at the museum. She's supposed to be, like, teaching a course there, I guess. Uh, I guess it's a school. I don't, I don't really understand what was going on there. You know, Wikipedia says that they work at the Natural History Museum. But, you know, Dane is teaching her class while she goes in there. And they're, like, in a museum but also teaching a class. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's... That, I guess, could have been cleared up a bit. I don't know. But, anyway, uh, we find out that they're in a relationship. They go to a bar. They're hanging out. And then we see Sprite for the first time. And, apparently, Sprite's been telling Dane about all the deviants and all this kind of stuff. And one time when the deviant's attacking, you know, he says, I thought you said you killed them all. And, you know, she's like, you told him? And she's like, yeah, I didn't think he'd believe me. And Dane says, well, I didn't, like, until now, you know, uh, when he actually sees them here. But yeah, so that's kind of like the opening of the movie here. We get this uh, fight scene really early on. We get the scene from the credit, uh, like uh, from the trailers, with the bus flipping over and Cersei turning it into flower petals. And then you know they leave London. Dane stays behind, and then they go to South Dakota, like I said, and, meet, and find Ajax's body in the back of her yard. And this all happens pretty quickly here at the beginning of this of this movie. And they find Ajax's body, you know, Cersei is spending some time with the body and the little orb that comes out of her chest and goes into Cersei and that's what they use to contact Arishem, the Celestial. Uh, she attempts to contact him, or the orb attempts to contact her and uh, doesn't work, doesn't really take right away and they pretty much get up and have to go, they go get kingo next i think i think they go to kingo to tell him ajak is dead and about the uh i guess they know about the emergence at this point no they just know about the deviants at this point um so yeah they, they go and uh find kingo who's now a movie star in uh india through like bollywood films and uh you know, he, he's, like, living it up, but we get to, um, yeah, so once Cersei does speak to the, uh, to Arishem, he mentions about, you know, the deviants were created by him as well, and it's to prepare Earth for the emergence uh, for millions of years, the Celestials have planted seeds in populated planets so a new Celestial can be bored. born. The Celestials sent the Deviants to destroy the apex predators of the planet to ensure the development of life. But the Deviants evolved and hunt the planet's populations now. Which is why the Eternals are there to kind of stop them from doing that. Just let them take out the apex predators, take them out so that way humans can continue to live, so that way the Celestial seed can grow from the population of the planet and then break through and give birth to the celestial named Tiamat, uh, which would cause Earth to be destroyed. 
a lot of the Eternals now love humanity. Some of them still have reservations about going against Arishem and what they're doing. Uh, you know, they try to toe this line here where, you know, Kingo says about how, you know, if Celestials create life, like, when a Celestial is there, like, it causes planets to spawn and galaxies to spawn, and then it creates more planets. So, you know, Kingo says, okay, a couple billion people die here, but, you know, tri billions and trillions live throughout the universe it creates even more life so we have to kind of let earth fall prey to this but cersei is really the one that wants to put the uh the her foot down about this so they have kingo now they go to um australia and this is where cersei actually gets to speak to error uh Aramish at this point of the film but they, they go to Australia, they find Gilgamesh and Thana, uh, Thana who uh, is Angelina Jolie, and they live together. Um, there's like a flashback to a time where, you know, uh, where Thana uh, loses her, um, or Thena, sorry, loses her reality. They call it Mad Weary, I think, is the disease name, which is where Thena is actually seeing the memories of all the other times they've done this and she's getting confused and she's saying stuff like how they're all gonna die and, and all that kind of stuff which you know everybody makes it sound like she's crazy but then when you learn the other bit about from Aramesh that they've been doing this millions of years and that these same Eternals have done this over and over again and just forget about it and then kind of get reset and go to the next the next planet um so that is uh, that is kind of the main thing uh, that's going on here. So they come up with a plan once they go get Druig. They come up with a plan. Uh, actually, then they go get uh, Fastos too. This is where a little clunky where where they're all kind of spread out and then having to get them all together again. So they go get uh, Fastos and Druig, and, you know, Makari is in the spaceship still, for whatever reason, living down there. And um, we have... Gilgamesh dies uh, when they go get Druig, because uh, the Deviants attack, and Crow kills him, absorbs his, like, fist power that he has, uh, like a punching strength power. I don't know really what it was. And they come up with a plan to use the Unimind, as Fastos calls it, which, uh, while they're in the spaceship, he comes up with bracelets that each of them wear, links them all into one mind, and then Druig would be able, because his power is to control minds, make the uh, Celestial sleep. Then we find out from Icarus here that Icarus is uh, pro... Tiamat blowing up Earth, right? And getting reset. He is pro-Aramesh. Cersei was picked by Ajax to continue to lead them because, as we'll find out here in this flashback to five days ago, Ajax has come around to humans as well and thinks that they have to stop the emergence. Icarus is like a by-the-book guy. He, he very likes uh, the rules and, you know, what... Um, 
their purpose is. And he shows her that in Alaska there are some deviants he found there. And he actually pushes Ajak down. Ajak gets killed by Crow, absorbs the power. We see that then. And then he goes to London and acts like he doesn't know any of this happened. And he mentions about how they must let Tiamat emerge. We also learn from that flashback that Ajax says that when Thanos snapped, you know, half the population in the universe, it actually slowed and delayed the emergence. So this is something the Avengers would have had to face at some point, if they would have known. But this is something we could have seen the Avengers handle if Thanos had never come to uh, come to Earth. There's another link to Thanos later on in here as well. So then the emergence starts. They send Makari, who's the speedster. She's also um, hearing impaired. She is going to run and locate where the emergency uh, is happening, and it's in an active volcano in the Indian Ocean. Sprite joins Icarus's side on this because she's in love with Icarus. Sprite is somebody that can cause illusions, but she's also forever stuck as like a pre-teenager, right? Like she's never going to grow up. And that's why she can never be with Icarus. She wants to know why Aramesh made her that way. Why she was born as a, you know, perpetual teenager. We don't really get an answer on that. But she's going to go with Icarus. So this kind of splits everybody up. Druig, Fastos, Cersei, Makari, you know, they're all going to work together to get the Unimind going. Kingo walks away because he agrees with Icarus, but he says he doesn't agree with Icarus enough to hurt or kill any of the other Eternals. So he's just going to bow out here. Athena is also pro, um, pro Cersei here. She's anti, anti-Aramesh. So uh, when they get to the volcano, you know, we get the usual battles um, that we get in a Marvel film. We get Icarus up against, like, Fastos as they're trying to stall for Cersei and uh, Druig to get everything set up. Druig gets, you know, defeated for a bit. I think they want you to think he's dead. And now it's Cersei's plan to try to get everybody linked together and figure out how she's going to stop it herself without controlling the mind you know she can manipulate stuff or change the appearance of stuff so she changes the celestial as it's coming out of the ground which is a really cool visual to like a marble or rock statue that's now hanging out in the ocean and you have like a hand coming up and the celestial's head coming out of the water and it looks like a mountain now it looks really cool I hope we get to see that again at some point. Just like characters flying by it or something. I don't know. I think it would be cool. Um, but yeah. So we get... Uh, Icarus gets defeated. He He's actually going to just fly into the sun. I guess, you know, he's he's doesn't want to get reset. Or I'm not really sure... Why does that? I probably could have been explained more. He, he just dies. They can bring him back, though. As they kind of reveal, like I said, that uh, Aramesh made all these. In the comics, the Eternals are not really, like, robotic or synthesoids like they seem to be in this. Because we kind of see their, their insides and all that kind of stuff while they're getting made. And they look kind of interesting. But, yeah, uh, Cersei, you know, stops it. The, 
the good guys prevail. Sprite, um, somehow Cersei has the ability to make Sprite into like a real girl where she's going to grow up. And she said she still had energy from the Unimind. None of that really made sense, but, um, I'm assuming Sprite's not going to be in any sort of sequel. And then, uh, you know, Fastos gets to live with his, uh, with his spouse and his, uh, with his husband and his, um, kid. That was kind of like something I wish they would have probably expanded a little bit more on. Like we really didn't get to see much of some of these characters outside of the Eternals. Like Makari barely does anything in this movie. Um, really didn't have a lot of time for Makari. Didn't have a lot of time for Fastos. Gilgamesh was fun, but he gets sidelined pretty quickly. Ajax gets sidelined pretty quickly. I felt like we didn't really get a chance to really know um, Thena that well as Angelina Jolie. She got kind of sidelined. I think that's probably my biggest complaint about the movie is not having enough time with, even though it's a long movie, like getting to know some of these characters better. Uh, it's just so many Eternals to handle. Okay, and then we have um, the mid-credit scenes and the end-credit scenes. So there's a fun little thing um, at one point. I think when they're in Domo, the spaceship, there is Thena playing with a sword. And I think Sprite asks, is that the Ebony Blade? She says, no, it's Excalibur. I mentioned Arthur and so that's a little fun egg because that's going to come up in the end credit scene here. But in the mid credit scene, Athena, uh, Makari, and Druig are visited by another Eternal. Uh, well, so at the end of the movie, Arishem um, comes out and like drags into space Cersei, uh, Fastos, and Kingo. And... Uh, while Sprite is no longer eternal, Dane is left behind right when he's about to tell her about his family history. And that's kind of where we're left off. Excuse me, sir. And then the, uh, you know, then the, then the end credits happen. Mid credit scene is Thena, Makari, and Druig, who are on the spaceship going their own separate way here. Uh, they get boarded by another eternal named Eros. He introduces himself as Star Fox. Character is kind of popular in the comics. Not super popular, but, you know, one that a lot of fans know of. I'm not too familiar with Eros. But what is fun about Eros is Pip, who is played by Patton Oswalt, introducing him. Uh, Pip is introducing him and mentions him as the brother of Thanos. And it's played by Harry Styles. Uh, Eros played by Harry Styles. So, um, yeah, he, we're meeting Thanos' brother and, uh, he's a good guy. You know, he's not, he's not a, he's not a bad, a bad guy. So you can look up Eros or Star Fox and find out some more information on there, but that is what, who Harry Styles is there. Um, that's where the mid credit scene stops. In the post-credit scenes, we get Dane Whitman opening up his chest of inher- inheritance from his ancestors, 
and it contains the legendary Ebony Blade, the blade that Sprite asked Thena if she was using. The Ebony Blade is a cursed blade in Marvel Comics for the Black Knight. The Black Knight is, of course, Dane Whitman. Something we didn't get here. But as he's about to go pick up the Ebony Blade, we hear a off-screen voice asking Mr. Whitman, are you ready for it? Ready for it. That voice is Mahershala Ali uh, playing Blade. So that's what we going on here. If you don't know who Black Knight is, that's Dane Whitman. His he had other family members that were also the Black Knights. Uh, the Ebony Blade was created by Stan Lee in 1955. Um, so the it, the, the blade is, like, cursed where usually the more blood that uh, the blade gets, the, the matter the wielder gets. We'll see if they can they continue with that. So it's a blood curse um, due to all the blood the original Black Knight had spilled. Now, Dane Whitman, at some point in the comics, does get rid of the curse on the blade but uh i'm assuming at this point it's still cursed and i guess that means we might see dane and blade that might be where they continue we might not get a black knight movie or series right now we might get we might get an actual uh him and blade the movie that they're making with mahershali so that would be uh It'd be interesting. But anyway, that about wraps up what is uh, the Eternals. So I hope that, uh, you know, if you stuck around for the spoilers, if you saw it or not, I hope you enjoyed the movie. I know a lot of people said they thought it was boring. I don't think there was a lot of boredom on my end. It's just a little bit of... I really just wanted more of the characters. And I think if we would have gotten more of the characters, it would have been better. I thought it was beautifully shot. I thought the cinematography is really nice. I thought the superpowers looked great on everybody. The suits looked good, I thought. Really, for me, came down to... Uh, not spending enough time with the characters. And this is... You know, people could say, you know, Guardians, you know, were introduced without them and we didn't spend too much time with them with it only being like four or five characters in guardians so it's a lot easier than the 10 eternals spending time with them and even though they kill a few off it's it's tough because you don't feel as much like i, I wish i would have felt more for gilgamesh or ajak dying but they just weren't around enough and i didn't spend a lot of time with them to even see that so unfortunately i think that's where we're at but yeah, so uh, if this upcoming week on Friday is Disney Plus Day, where they're going to be doing a whole bunch of, I guess, announcements or trailers we might get on Disney Plus Day. We'll see what we get. Um, I already have it scheduled for Jack. Seepersoud joining me to talk uh, this weekend coming up to talk about what is announced on Disney Plus Day. So there will be an episode talking about that, and then after that, we're going to be building up to Hawkeye, which my friend Matt 
Hartgrove will be on talking about Hawkeye every episode. So uh, join us there. My cousin Brandon and I are going to do a road to the Book of Boba Fett on our Star Wars podcast, The Pod Awakens, if you're interested in that. I think I mentioned it an episode or two ago on here that we're going to start with Attack of the Clones and we're going to start with Attack of the Clones and see the Star Wars saga from Boba Fett's perspective as we lead up to the Book of Boba Fett. So we have Attack of the Clones, we have the six or five Clone Wars episodes that he's in, then we're going to talk uh, Empire. I know he's in a scene of the New Hope uh, special edition, I think it is. We're just going to talk about that in the Empire Strikes Back because it doesn't really show us anything. I'm not going to spend a whole hour talking about you know one scene that he's in in, in A New Hope. We're going to go Empire, then we're going to go Return of the Jedi, then we're going to go Mandalorian, and that'll lead us up to the Book of Boba Fett, which Logan Stump and I will be breaking down on The Pod Awakens. So check that out. But other than that, Thanks for following. If you want to reach us on Twitter, it's at T-O-Infinity-Saga, Facebook.com slash InfinitySagaBeyond, where you can email us, MarvelPlusRecaps at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and have a great rest of your week.